while they're turning there, while they're coming that way, I want to encourage you to turn your copy of God's Word to the book of First, excuse me, Second Thessalonians chapter three. Second Thessalonians chapter three is we're going to conclude what we started here a while back um, here in Second Thessalonians. But while we're doing that, while we're getting ready, I, before we read today's text, I want to say to you that uh, as we conclude this book of Second Thessalonians today, last week I took a small deviation talking about how the battle is not ours, it's God's, and I felt the Lord really leading me to do that, and I've just learned over these 30-something years that as God leads you, just do what he says, you'll be all right, amen. And throughout the week, I uh, had several of you be kind enough to say that uh, the Lord used that to help you, and that meant a lot to me, and also sometimes it's just the Lord's way of helping confirm to us that we're in line with him, so thank you for that. Today's word, I want you to know before we even read the text, it's a difficult word, and um, it's easy, one of those would be easy to just avoid, but uh, I'm of the firm conviction that the Bible teaches us that we're to declare all the counsel of God to the people of God, and, and I believe that. Paige Patterson used to say that the whole council was from Genesis to the maps, and so when we start preaching the maps, you'll know we're, we're getting close to the end, right? But nevertheless, I do believe it is a difficult word. It's one that'd be easy to avoid, but I believe it's very helpful and needful in this hour that we're in. This morning, the Lord woke me up. Uh, you know what it's like when the Lord wakes you up because you can't go back to sleep and everything you try. You just kind of be like Samuel, say, okay, Lord, Whatever you need to say, I'm listening, speaking to my soul. And I began to talk to the Lord this morning about personal obstacles that I have. I began to talk to him about obstacles of brothers and sisters in Christ that I know they're struggling with and families and people that I'm praying for. I began to tell the Lord a lot about obstacles. And I really, it's just real good when you feel God through the Holy Spirit speak into your heart. Uh, words of peace and words of comfort, words of instruction, words of encouragement. But when you belong to him and you're his child, you know his voice, amen? Uh, one of my favorite songs is a song by Third Day called The Sound of His Voice. It was from the movie Courageous. He says, oh, sing your song to me. There's no sweeter thing than to listen to the sound of your voice, speaking of God. I really believe God put this in my heart this morning and I told him about my obstacles. I I believe I heard him. He said, Brent, and that's what he calls me because I'm his boy, amen. I'm his son. I'm his child. He said, uh, your obstacles are really not what you think they are. He said, your obstacles are really nothing more than opportunities. They're opportunities to advance the work of the kingdom, and they're also opportunities to further the influence of the gospel on the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and to those who are in the world and perishing and still need to know him. Too often we look at our obstacles and think they're just hindrances to our path when many times they're opportunities to propel us forward and we don't even notice it. So I pray that I don't miss it and I pray you don't miss it and I pray we look for every opportunity even in the obstacle to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? So I do ask you to pray much for me today. As I'm praying for you, and I ask you to listen aggressively, and I ask you to open your heart and your mind to God today. Let him speak to you 
and you obey his voice is my most humble prayer. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. If you found your place physically able, let's stand together for the reading of the word of God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6 and following. Here's what the word of God says. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were without you, or excuse me, we were with you, we commanded you, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person, do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. Salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it means to us and thank you that it is a guidebook for our lives. Thank you that it is 100% true. It can be trusted. and We can put our total faith and confidence in the truthfulness of your word. God, speak through our hearts today. Help us to be more like Jesus and help us to point weary sinners to the cross. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Today I'm speaking to you on the subject of the behavior of believers. I'm more convinced today than ever before that the world is watching very closely to see how the church responds to all the chaos that's going on around us. I believe as the body of Christ, those indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we should respond differently than unbelievers because we do not follow the world's belief system. That being said, we know that the reason we don't is because we have a biblical worldview, a worldview that is shaped by Scripture. It shapes the way we think, it shapes what we believe, and it shapes how we behave. So as Paul pens these concluding words of the second letter to the church at Thessalonica, he challenges them and he also pleads with them. The reason he does is because they matter to him. The reason that I challenge you and plead with you to listen to the word of God and follow the son of God is because you matter to God and you matter to me. Amen? It's very important we understand that. He challenged them and he pled with them to be on guard for the things and the people who might be used to bring division among the local body. But throughout his letters, Paul consistently admonished the church 
that they would look out for the work of Satan and that they would also look out for one another and that they would encourage one another. That was part of his ministry. He learned that from a guy named Barnabas who was quite an encourager, encouraged Paul, helped him tremendously and Paul carried on much of that same work. He also admonished them to hold on to one another and to hold one another accountable to pursue the heart of God and to work together in unity for the fulfillment of their gospel calling. All of us have individual callings, individual giftedness, but we have a common calling as brothers and sisters in Christ that we might be conduits for the gospel and we might be encouragers and helpers to one another. I really believe that. So in today's text, we find some instruction and we find some encouragement uh, that we can find in God's word that will ensure us that our behavior would match what we profess to believe. So as I talk about the behavior of the believer today, I want you to notice with me beginning in verse six, we notice the accountability of believers. Accountability is very important in everybody's life, very important in your personal life, your professional life, and in your spiritual life. God never intends for his children to serve in isolation. I tell our deacons in our meetings quite often, guys, don't ever get isolated. Don't ever get to a point where you're isolated from others. Insulate yourself with other believers, but don't isolate yourself from other believers. God doesn't want you to do that but rather he would want us to be accountable and he would also want us to hold others accountable for their service to the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. Accountability is very important. So notice with me, if you will, first of all, as we talk about accountability, is Paul talks to them about dealing with the disorderly. In the first part of verse six, he just says, but we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly. Now, we're all well aware of the need to be on guard. We know the importance of that. We should be on guard against the attacks from an unbelieving world because those attacks can bring great damage to the church. However, Paul also warns us of some of the most damaging attacks that can ever come do not come from the outside unbelieving world, but can come from the inside among those who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm going to issue you a command. It's a very strong word. It's a military order being handed down from a superior officer. Paul knew that God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, his son, were his superior officers. He had handed down to him an order he was handing down this order to the church and was reminding the church of the dangers of the disorderly. Now remember this, I've told you many times, the church is not a cruise ship. It's a battleship, amen? It's not a cruise ship where you just kind of pay your fare and you hang out by the pool and eat grapes and little cheese cubes and people come by and make sure you're all, you know, watered and fed and, and see to your every need. Now, that's not what the church is. It's not a cruise ship. It's a battleship where everybody has, has some orders. Everybody has a need and everybody is wanted and everybody needs to be a part, pulling together for the common goal of advancing the gospel. 
We are part of God's army and we must follow and we must act upon the orders that are given to us from the word of God. When he talks about disorderly, that can be defined as being one who is out of line, out of order, and out of rank. Very, very important. Now, unruly and disorderly church members at the church at Thessalonica were causing problems for everybody. The problems were not only from the actions of the unruly members, but also from the idleness of the unruly members. Carelessness and idleness are like hidden grenades, it's been said, that explode and cause major damage to the church's ability to accomplish great commission work. I want you to know I'm grateful today to be a part of a fellowship of a lot of folks who don't mind rolling up their sleeves and doing whatever it takes. I want you to know that I'm grateful for that, but I also want you to be on guard as a brother and sister in Christ. You help me and I help you to make sure that we don't ever allow ourselves to become careless and idle, that we might be basically a hidden grenade to explode and bring great damage to the body of Christ, dealing with a disorderly. But he also goes a step further and talks about embracing our example. Verses seven through nine, he talks about that, and he talks about our example, and that word example can be translated to mean to mimic. Y'all have heard me tell before in the past how when I was young with my, around my granddaddy a lot, my granddaddy was my hero and my granddaddy liked dental sweet snuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I thought, and I told y'all, I tried to make chocolate milk out of that stuff one time. It didn't taste very good. <laughs> but he liked dental sweet snuff and everywhere he went, he had a spit can. He had a spit tomb beside his chair in the house. He had a spit can in the truck. And you know what? And I didn't really, I done found out the dental sweet didn't taste like chocolate milk. But I figured, you know what, I still wanted to be like my granddaddy, so I'd get in the truck with my granddaddy, and he'd have an old pork and beans can with some paper towel stuff down in it that he'd spit in while riding. So I'd just get me one too. Now, I didn't take no dental sweet, but I'd just spit like he did because I wanted to be like him. Well, listen, as much as those things are comical to us and funny, we all want to be like somebody. I wanted to be Terry Bradshaw, but I just didn't have the physique to be a quarterback, amen? I wanted to be a lot of things. I wanted to be Johnny Bench, but I never could get seven baseballs in my hand. The other day, there was a documentary coming on about Johnny Bench, and I was like, man, I've got to watch this. And Angie says, who is he? Well, we had to have a come to Jesus meeting down in our house. Eh? Who is Johnny Bench? Just the greatest catcher of all time, amen? Now, I know some of y'all have your other opinions and you can take them to the cross whenever you want to. Johnny Bench is still the best there ever was. But anyhow, I mean, we have these people that we want to mimic. I remember trying to get in the batter's box like Johnny Bench and all these different things. I just wanted to be like them. Well, the Bible is teaching us our greatest example is Jesus Christ and Paul's imploring people to follow him because he was following Jesus. Listen, you say, well, Paul was arrogant. No, he wasn't arrogant. He just knew that his confidence was not in himself, but his confidence was in the one he followed, and he was so confident in the one that he followed that he was following so closely that he said to the people, just follow me as I follow him. Wow, he told the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 5, 1, to be imitators of God as dear children. And ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know the New Testament records no greater example other than Jesus Christ to follow than that of the Apostle Paul. 
How do you know that, preacher? Well, he was a model in many ways. He was a model through his gospel preaching. He was a model through his endurance of suffering. He was a model through honesty and integrity. He was a model of humility, gentleness, affection, self-sacrifice, holiness, his prayer, and his hard physical work. He was a model in every way of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And those people could follow him and follow him well. Well, I love what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, the greatest influence is that of a godly living sacrifice. Let me just say this to you, boys and girls and ladies and gentlemen. If you've got a mom, a dad, a grandma, a grandpa, meemaw, peepaw, whatever, or a friend or an uncle or an aunt or whoever in your life that is an example of living sacrifice before God, man, that is a tremendous influence on you and you should be so grateful for it. See, a Christian leader may appeal to the authority of the word, but he cannot point to his own example of obedience. If he cannot point to his own example of obedience, his people will not listen. That's what Wiersbe said. He goes on to say this. This is the difference between authority and stature. A leader earns stature as he obeys the word and serves his people in the will of God. Authority comes from position, but stature comes from practice and example. Stature earns the leader the right to exercise authority. Oh, another said this, no preaching of the gospel can ever be really effective unless the life of the preacher is such to commend the message. You know what I really like for you to leave here today saying? I'd like for you to leave here today saying, listen, the word that came to us from the pulpit at Heflin Baptist Church today, it wasn't just alive on the pages of scripture. It was alive in the heart of my preacher. It was evident that God had a hold of his heart and changed his life. And I want to tell you today, it's made a difference in me. I hope you'd leave here today to saying that. Oh, he said that. He said, it's got to, uh, unless the life of the preacher commends the message. He goes on to say this. Those who hear must feel that they are listening to one whose life shows his sincerity and the power of the message he brings. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, hear me today. If there's ever been an hour that we need men of God to stand up with the word of God before the people of God and to declare it for the glory of God in the house of God, it's the hour that we're living in today. Oh, listen. We've got to be an example in our living, our giving, our serving. I really believe that the message must be alive in the preacher before it ever becomes alive in the church. Vance Havner said, if there's a mist in the pulpit, it creates a fog in the pew. There's a lot of foggy churches out there today, amen. There's a lot of foggy churches. You know why? Because we have so many who have sold out to the fear of offending somebody. I want you to know my heart today. I didn't come here to be offensive. I didn't come here with the goal of offending anybody. But I'm here to tell you that if the word of God offends you of where you are, it is a wonderful, loving Savior reaching down from heaven to touch your sinfulness, reaching the other hand to heaven to touch the holiness of God, to build a bridge for you to repent and find forgiveness for your sin. That's about worth shouting over today, amen. That God would love you that much. 
We don't need the fog in the pews. We need to see clearly, ladies and gentlemen, because the world's foggy enough. We need to have a clear sight of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then he said something else about being accountable. He also talks about being trained by the truth. In the last part of verse 6, and in verse 10, he talks about this word tradition. Baptist folk real familiar with tradition, aren't we? But I don't believe he's talking about the same kind we're most familiar with. The word tradition means something handed down. And in this context, tradition refers to the divine revelation that was given to the apostles. He said, if anyone is not willing to work, that's what that translates. He's not talking about those unable to work. I want to be very clear about that. Paul was reminding the church of what he had taught them in the past. He taught them in 1 Thessalonians 4.11 that you aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Listen, those who were able to work should. Amen? I, I know some people today, godly people that are unable to work would give their eye teeth if they just could. But I know some that are able that wouldn't hit a lick at a rattlesnake if it was about to bite them. Amen? <laughs> Y'all know them too, don't you? Amen? Sure, we should. And as believers, individually, and as the church, we must care for the poor and those unable to work. Woo. But listen, John MacArthur said it clearly. Neither the church nor the world owes a living to those too lazy to work. Ooh. In 1984, in a sermon at Bellevue Baptist Church, Memphis, Tennessee, Adrian Rogers said this. He says, you cannot legislate the poor into freedom by legislating the wealthy out of freedom. What one person receives without working for, another person must work for without receiving. The government cannot give to anybody anything that the government does not take from somebody else. When half the people get the idea that they do not have to work because the other half is going to take care of them and when the other half gets the idea that it does no good to work because somebody else is going to get what they work for, that, my friend, is about the end of any nation. You cannot multiply wealth by dividing it. 1984, I was 13 years old in 1984. I'm a little bit older than that now. I can only imagine what Brother Adrian would say today if he was still alive. If he saw what was taking place in God blessed America, and listen church, this is a text that helps me and you be a light to the world. This is not a condemnation on us. This is an opportunity for us to shine the light of the truth on the world that the world might be changed by the power of the gospel. Well, what about spiritually? What about eating spiritually? Well, I believe it's very important that every Christian would search the scriptures. Not just the preacher, not just your Sunday school teacher, but every Christian, you know Why? Because you need to eat from God's table more than once a week. <laughs> now I guarantee you, I'm looking across the house here and I'm being very unjudgmental. But I would about guess none of you 
will wait till next Sunday before you eat lunch again. <laughs> Is that a fair assumption? Y'all didn't realize how wise I really am. Now, now listen. I know y'all won't, because after lunch today, after church today, now I don't want to get y'all too excited about this, because I'm taking my sweetheart to lunch, because it's a table for two again. Remember when I told you it was just me and her? We didn't have but just enough money to buy one blizzard. Y'all remember that story? Y'all don't remember much I tell, but y'all got to remember that story. One blizzard, here I am, 16 years old, my 79 Oldsmobile Cutlass Baby Blue with a Landau top. And I pull into the Dairy Queen out in Oxford, you go up and get one blizzard because you ain't got enough money for two. We started out with two spoons, and I knew it got serious when we got into one. And y'all know I told you, she always wanted to order Heath Bar. I hate Heath Bar. But I ordered it. You know why? Because I loved her. Y'all okay, guys? I'm trying to help y'all here, all right? Now listen, after, after church today, we're going to go to lunch. We'll get a table for two. And don't get me one of them deep-fried California rolls, sushi. Y'all didn't know I was such a polished dude, amen? But I ain't eating that raw stuff. I'm going to tell y'all right now. They're going to have to cook that stuff, amen? Now, when they deep-fry in the South, that makes everything edible, right? Amen. But I guarantee you, none of y'all are going to go all week without eating. You're going to eat plenty because you know that you need the nourishment to get by. I would not recommend you do that. Well, you need to make sure you don't do that with God's word either because you need to grow in your walk and your relationship with him and you do that by feeding on the word of God. Notice with me something else if you would. Notice the attitude of the believers. Y'all believe attitude's everything? Do y'all really believe that? I do. Because I know some people they are probably not the most gifted people but they have the best attitude. And man, they just excel. And I know others who are so gifted but have the worst attitude. And it really hinders you. You know who else it hinders? Everybody around you. Good attitudes can have a positive effect on everyone, so can a negative. My, my girls, I can remember when they were in elementary and middle school. None of your kids are like this because they're perfect, but uh, mine weren't, still aren't. But they didn't like to get up early. Must be a girl thing, I don't know. I didn't... I didn't have any boys in the house with me. When I was growing up, I didn't get a choice. Get it, and that's it. So I tried to get them up. So I took a different approach, though. I'd just go in and start singing to them. <laughs> My George, that got them hopping. And I'd go in and say, rise and shine. Give God the glory, glory, rise and shine. Give God the glory. And then I'd go up to the door and I'd go, rise and shine and give him glory, glory, children of the... And by this time they're going, daddy. <laughs> but you know, it helped because it got things off to a good start, at least for me. It made them happy. But I want you to know faithful followers were being discouraged. They were being discouraged by unruly, disordered, and careless saints that refused to work. Notice with me quickly, if you will, notice the burden of busybodies. See, they walked in a disorderly manner. It meant they lived an undisciplined life. Boy, I can remember the first year I played football. Here was eighth grade. Played junior high football. And our coach had a drill he taught us. It was a, called a discipline drill. I'll never forget it. A bunch of eighth and ninth grade kids. We'd get on the goal line. This would be at the end of practice, about when everybody's tired ready to go, done run all them wind sprints and all that stuff. 
he called snap camp and we'd go until he blew the whistle and stopped 100 yards seemed like every time I'd get about two stops he'd blow the whistle again and stop but every time we got down to call the next snap camp if anybody jumped guess who all had to go back everybody at first you know the first of the season it'd be this come on man you're making us have to go back then after a minute that guy that was griping you know what he'd do cause us to have to go back <laughs> but I can remember how much discipline it taught us because man that was just one thing we weren't going to do and, and, but we learned a lot of discipline about being teammates and encouraging one another and not jumping off side I mean it really helped and when we're talking about the Christian life there are so many that live such an undisciplined Christian life and it causes major problems for them. The word busybody is translated as one who is busy fooling around and not accomplishing anything. I don't, it doesn't give me joy to talk about this kind of stuff, but it is something we need to be on guard for. See, idle minds give open opportunities for Satan to do his work of creating disunity in the body of Christ. Fellowship is adversely affected and the witness of the church is damaged. Well, not just the burden of busybodies, but notice with me the path to productivity. Paul appeals directly to those who are unruly, those who are idle, those who are unproductive. Here's what he does. I'm going to give you a way to fix it. I'll give you a way to fix it. That's one thing I love about the word of God. It doesn't just point out where we're wrong. He shows us how to get it right. Aren't you grateful for that? That's so important. He says what you need to do is you need to get busy doing some things of eternal value. You need to get busy investing your life in things that will matter five seconds after you're gone. He, he tells them that what you basically don't need to do is you don't need to spend your Christian existence feeding off the fire of other Christians. There needs to be a fire within you. You need to pray that God would build a fire within you and that God would make you who he wants you to be. Now hear me, and I want you to hear me real clearly. We need each other. Does everybody in the house hear me today? We need each other. We need the blessing of God and we need the binding of brothers and sisters in Christ through the word of God, the love of God, and the blood of Jesus Christ. We need each other. You will hear me say that over and over. Why? But not because we need each other. We need to build each other up. There's a fancy word in the scripture called edify. And that word needs, means to build up. That means to find good things to say to each other and about each other. <laughs> we must help others fulfill their calling as we seek our own. And do you remember me telling you a few weeks ago maybe it's a month or two now time goes so fast you remember me telling you about how important it is that you keep the water out your boat does anybody remember that you remember I told you that boats don't sink because they're in the water boats only sink when water gets inside the boat and in your Christian life you don't sink because you live out here in the world you only sink when the world gets inside of you so here's what we need to do as the body of Christ sometimes there are people and there are situations and there are circumstances pouring more water in our boat than we can get out fast enough by ourselves. That's why I got friends like Jackson here. I go and say, hey Jackson, can you help me get the water out of my boat? Isn't that what Galatians 6 tells us? That we are to bear one another's burdens. 
Amen. And that we're to help one another. That we're to encourage one another. And when old Jackson gets too much water in his boat, he's, gonna, he's not going to call me. He's not, he probably won't even talk to me much because he's so quiet, but he's going to send me a text. He'll say, hey, preacher, can you help me get the water out of my boat? I tell you what, if we would spend more time helping each other get the water out of our boats instead of pouring more in, sometimes we just want to get it out of ours and pour it in somebody else's. And that's no good. Somebody say, preacher, that's right, that ain't no good. I know that's double negative, Miss Adams is here, but it'll be all right. <laughs> she expects this from me because I didn't read enough. I know, but I'm catching up on it now. I'm, I'm doing better. But we've got to help each other. Why? Because the world, the unbelieving, God-hating world is not going to help us. We've got to help each other. I'm almost done. Y'all glad? <laughs> Alan, why you laugh so loud? Amen. <laughs> Let me leave you this today. The activity of the believers is recorded in verses 13 through 16. Here's what I read from Danny Aiken. He said, knowing that a discouraged church is unhealthy and unproductive, Paul turns his attention to encourage the faithful. He told the church at Galatians, not grow weary well doing. Don't get tired of doing the right thing. I got a wonderful old preacher buddy told me, he said, Brent, when you don't know what to do, just do right. Y'all heard me tell you that before and I say it again because I don't want you to forget it because there's going to be so many times you're going to be challenged to do wrong to get along. Amen. But I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there is no wrong time to do what's right I never want to be guilty of taking water from my boat and throwing it on your fire because you know sometimes folks will do that these young guys learning coming up they're learning that we've learned that I've met folks be hot hearted for God and all it takes is somebody to say something wrong or to hurt their feelings or whatever for them just to bow out. I read something good on that and I gotta leave you with this today. It said, if you've been in ministry for any period of time, you know how easily the entire course of a church can be determined by a few disorderly or irresponsible members. As is often the case, the disorderly and irresponsible members never seem to grow weary of wearying others. Oh. I've been around long enough to know that is true. Those that like to make people weary just seem to get excited when they do. I know. The unfortunate outcome is this, that the faithful members become easily discouraged and they tacitly concede victory to a few unruly individuals. The very ones who have the responsibility to ensure the purity and integrity of the church are the ones who give up and give in. Sensing perhaps that such an eventuality was possible there at Thessalonica, here's what Paul did. He exhorted the church to do the right thing and address the problem before it got worse. Wow. Somebody had to speak up. Well, I could go on and talk for hours about that and somebody said, please don't because I'm hungry. But I just want you to know something. 
Causing division and sowing discord is a serious offense before God. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, writer of Proverbs says there's six, no seven, things that God hates. You know what the seven one is? Those that sow discord among the brethren. Let me leave you with what he said in verse 16. He said, now may the Lord of peace himself. You might want to underline that word himself. He said, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. Here's the point to everything I've said today. Whatever is wrong in your life, only God can make it right. Hey, look here. The pastor, the church, body, we're here to help you, but only God can forgive you and only God can restore you. Aren't you glad that he's the one that does that? Because he loves unconditionally. He doesn't look at us as, well, I'll fix him and let that other old boy go. All who come to him by faith, he fixes and restores. So church, why do we talk about things like this today? I'll tell you why. Because there's a real adversary out there. The Bible says he's a roaring lion. He's roaming, looking, searching, seeking. You know what he's looking for? Hey, he's not just looking for people out there to cause havoc for the church. He's looking to invade the church. He's looking to whisper in my ear and whisper in yours. He's looking to get our attention as we talked about in Sunday school this morning. Brother Mark taught us he's looking to find what your appetite is for and then he comes after you. Uh, friend, hear me. Just this week. Now, I don't know about you, but there are times when the old enemy himself, you can just sense his wicked presence, can't you? I believe he got in a truck with me the other day. Has he ever got in a truck with you, sir? I bet he has. If you're a follower of Jesus, he don't mind. He's not scared to come after you, but I tell you who he can't stand, who he can't stand against is the one that lives within you. So as he began to say all sorts of things, you're just, you know, worthless and everything else, he's good at that. I didn't look to my right or my left. I didn't rebuke him. I didn't even acknowledge him but I did appeal to the one who gets between me and him, the one who lives in me. And I said, Lord, I don't know where all these attacks come from, but I know this much, that there is nothing too strong that you cannot defend your children. And oh God, today, <laughs> yeah, you know, I was praying with my eyes open because I'm coming down the road. I don't need to close my eyes. I'm like, Lord, please. Rebuke the devourer. Your word says you will rebuke the devourer for our sake. And can I tell you something, ladies and gentlemen? He showed himself strong. He showed himself faithful. And I want you to know whatever you're battling or whatever you're going through or whatever you will go through, as a follower of Jesus Christ, he will do the same for you. God is good. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you for your word today, Lord. I want to thank you, Lord, that it's true, trustworthy, that it's inerrant, infallible, it's holy.
Lord, here's my prayer for Heflin Baptist Church today. Father, I know as much as I love these people, you love them even more. Lord, you have a perfect, untainted, holy, unconditional love. And God, you have such love for this church. And God, for your people, I pray first. God, we'd guard our hearts. We'd guard our minds. We'd guard our ears. We'd guard everything about us. God, that we would not be guilty of allowing the enemy to use us for his work that would hinder your work. And God, I pray that you'd help us to love one another, build one another up, speak kind words of encouragement. And God, just, just be brothers and sisters in Christ. Overlook each other's imperfections. And, and God, realize that none of us have got it all figured out. We're all susceptible to mistakes and bad decisions. And, and God, we need your grace. And God, help us to show your grace to others. God, I pray that you'd wrap loving arms around this fellowship. And God, let us bind our arms together in unity and love and peace. God, that your work would be done clearly and powerfully through us. Father, I pray for those on the sound of my voice today that may have yet to make a decision to follow you, to repent of their sins and trust you. Maybe they put it off for a long time, but today, God, you've spoken clearly and you're pleading with them to come. God, I pray you give them strength to do that today. And God, I pray you'd be glorified through the salvation of lost sinners through the restoring of your children who may have drifted to the left or right or wherever. And God, we're going to celebrate right now what you're going to do. Because Father, nobody needs grace in this building today any more than me. I'm so unworthy, Father, to be called upon to do this work you called me to do. But God, I am so humble. And I'm just captured by that holy calling. I pray you capture somebody today fresh and new. That lives would be forever changed. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's stand our feet all across the house. I want you to hear me today, church. I'm very serious when I say we need to pray and plead for God to keep us right with him and right with one another. And I want you to hear me today, friend, if you're yet to trust God. There's no better today than today. The Bible says today is a day of salvation. Today, you can't boast of tomorrow. You don't know what it brings. I plead with you to come to Jesus today. Marty, lead us when you're ready, buddy. I am thine, O Lord. I have heard thy voice and it told thy love to me. But I long
sing that second. Consecrate me now to thy service, Lord, by the power of grace divine. Let my soul look up with a steadfast hope, and my will be lost in thine. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. Sing that chorus, Marty. Sing it one more. Draw me offerings may you won't you won't do like I did last week sometimes I yeah I'm, I'm like y'all I'm as imperfect as anybody in the building I filled out the front of my envelope and 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 got back to the back and they were holding it up to me and said hey you forgot something you didn't put a check in there but yeah <laughs> I said y'all didn't know any of my tricks but yeah no wasn't trying to trick anybody it was just one of those absent moments we have them don't we Robbie we have them not you no, no, okay just me okay just checking, and if the mayor has them, I can have them, right? But nevertheless, uh, I want to encourage you to give today uh, from your heart. When I talk about this thing about, I want you to know that what I share with you about what is alive from this book, and I pray comes alive in you. I hope you are convinced when you leave today that it's alive in me, amen? And I, I want to be, as Paul said, an example of faithfulness and godliness and gentleness and I just really want to be that for, for you, uh, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas. I want to be that for your youngins, uh, wherever we are. I want them to see the same preacher uh, at school or in town as they do on Sunday. I, that really matters, means a lot to me, and I pray that because I, I, you know, if you just be who you are, you don't have to wonder who you were last. You just keep being who you are, amen? And that's very important to me and to you, and I want you to know that matters. And I also want to be example and faithfulness of giving. I want you to know that your preacher not only tells you that the tithe is holy unto the Lord, but believes and practices that. And I want you to know it matters, and it makes a difference in our ability to touch the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we've got a couple of weeks this Sunday, next Sunday, left this month. So let's end this month strong, and let's give from our hearts to the Lord because he has called us to a great work. There is a cause, church. Amen? There is a cause. So join me as we ask God's blessings on our giving.
remembers September 16, 2004. That's the day Hurricane Ivan swept through her hometown of Robertsdale. Hurricane Ivan kept increasing the more it came toward us and um, ended up being a high Category 3, and it devastated this area. Emerging from their home to discover their long driveway covered with 50 to 100 fallen trees, Carol and her family did their best to clear a path out, but there was still so much more to do around their property. You're left with trying to do the best you can, and all of a sudden an angel comes in with the Southern Baptist Disaster Relief Team, and they minister to everybody in such a precious fashion, not just by cutting trees and not mudding out and different things, by, by ministering to the soul and giving hope. And that's tremendous. Now, fast forward 16 years later to the day, to September 16, 2020, when Hurricane Sally made landfall, again in Gulf Shores, and then plowed through Robertsdale. You walked out the door and there was devastation everywhere. We prayed, said, Lord, please work out something. Within about four hours, I heard these chainsaws and they were right up at the end of the road. And our daughter got on the little four-wheeler we had. She went charging up to the end of the road. She came back rejoicing. She said, Mama, Mama, the angels have arrived. They're here, they're here. And to me, that's what the disaster relief team is. They're yellow-shirted angels that come in, don't fly in on wings. They come in on trucks and cars and vans. And yet when they come out, they get right to work. They're powerful, they're strong, they're courageous, and they believe in helping others. After Ivan, Carol, a longtime member of First Baptist Robertsdale, wanted to express her appreciation to all of the disaster relief volunteers. So she wrote a poem, one which continues to encourage volunteers even today. Have you ever wondered where angels come from? Well, today I was blessed to be in the midst of some. Many wore yellow hats and had skin so fair. One of those yellow-shirted angels Carol wrote about is John Hayes, who volunteered to serve in Robertsdale in 2004 and was back in 2020. For John, disaster relief really isn't about cutting trees or, or preparing meals. It's about people like Carol and others that God gives him the opportunity to serve. I have yet to have a deployment when he didn't put somebody in my way that I wasn't able to witness to. And I've been on 147 state deployments so far. And he'll make a way if you just make yourself available. Your gifts to the Myers-Mallory State Missions Offering are part of the fuel that keeps this yellow shirt army of angels operating. For people who don't understand where their money goes, let me assure you, in Having these men and women who volunteer their time and their effort, the Southern Baptist Relief Team is a powerful ministry to those who are hurting, those who have no hope, and those who are lost. It gives them hope, and that's what they did for us. They gave us hope. Amen. You heard the brother. He said, if you make yourself available, God makes a way. Amen. I really believe that. And a uh, portion of Myers Mallory does go to disaster relief, which is, you know, coastal areas certainly need it, but many other areas outside the coast, all across uh, this uh, part of the country, many, many have, over the years have had need and have had so many needs met 
through that. I'm just grateful for the work of uh, Southern Baptists throughout the world in touching lives for Jesus Christ. I'm glad that each time you and I give, we are a part of that in many ways. So just know that that's, we're grateful for everybody's obedience and giving, whether it's Myers Mallory or Annie Lottie or just week to week. It's just a blessing to be a part of something that God has ordained and got his hand on. Don't forget Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock. I want to encourage you for you adults, Wednesday nights here in the worship center we're meeting. We're really praying and began this past week praying for God to send a movement, a, a movement of spiritual awakening and revival in this part of the country on the heels of all that we've been through that we're still going through with pandemic, uh, all the things like that. We're just really praying for God to just show us the way and use us wherever he wants. So 6 o'clock Wednesday night, that's our prayer meeting here. Children and adult, uh, students also meet at 6 also on Wednesday night. We look forward to being here with you. Before we leave, you need to know, and I hope you never forget, the reason I share with you what I share with you today and each and every day, each and every time, is because God loves you, I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Amen. Let's stand together. Marty's going to sing us out. Don't forget, choir 430. It's going to be a great time.